welcome to Vision Month, which is really Vision Six Weeks. It's going to take us six weeks to talk about what we feel like God has been speaking to us about for this next season of church life. And I'm glad that you've been able to make it uh, tonight to be able to be in the room because there's always something special about being in the room. We're thankful that we can watch at home for the weeks we can't be here, but there is something special about being in the room and actually being gathered together physically. And I'm looking forward to the time where the whole church can be gathered together again. And uh, hopefully that time is not too far away. But I'm, I'm grateful that you're here tonight. I'm hoping that tonight as we talk about our new vision for the church and as we go on in the next few weeks, we talk about the new values that are gonna guide our journey as a church, that you can see these things as a vision, not just for the church you're a part of, but a vision for your life, a vision worthy of your life. And I hope that as we talk about the values, that they would become convictions of your own life that would guide the way you live your life, that guide the way you do your career, your families, you make those major and minor decisions in your life, because I really believe there's something that God wants to do with us. And, um, and it's got that sort of us-ness, but it's also got that individual aspect to it, which I think you can take and run with. Um, I don't want to do too much preamble, but tonight I want to talk about our revision. As I said, we do values. We've got some incredibly exciting announcements over the next few weeks as well, um, which are going to shape part of the next part of our journey as a church. But uh, after we've been pastoring the church, I don't know, 10 and a half years or something like that, and uh, we felt like God started to speak to us about a year ago, just over a year ago, about how it's time for a new chapter as a church. It's time for a new chapter. The first chapter's been amazing. Honestly, it's been incredible. It's been hard. It's had its moments. But all in all, the fruitfulness of the last 10 years of ministry has been amazing. Then I have to pinch myself and go, oh my goodness, God, you let me get be a part of this. 700 people baptized, more than 700 people, hundreds of people freed from addictions, people that have found family, people that have grown up in the church. And it's awesome to see even some of them here tonight. I've been like, I remember when Christy was just a youth in, in the church. And now she's up here just bringing all of that awesome anointing as she leads us in worship. And it's been amazing. But as amazing as it's been, it doesn't mean God doesn't want to do new things. It doesn't mean that God doesn't have more. And um, we felt like God's speak to us and go, it's a new chapter. And we know what a new chapter means. It means you have to lay down the old chapter. It means that we, we felt like we had to take the whole way we were looking at it. Not that it was wrong, but um, you know, as you grow in ministry, hopefully you learn some new things. You have to take the whole way that we're looking at it and go, oh God, is this how we should still look at it? Or do you want to pull some other threads together and is it supposed to change and morph and evolve and um, continue to become? Because we never arrive, right? It's never like, oh, this is it, we've nailed it, let's just keep doing this for the next 50 years. It's like, no, no, what's God doing now? And so these two things keep happening, right? The world keeps changing. I don't know if you realize that, but the world keeps changing, the world we live in now is not the same world we lived in 10 years ago. The world I grew up in is not the same world that those of you who are younger are growing up in. The challenges, why there might be similarities, they're different. The context is different. Uh, the culture has shifted in the way it sees morals and all different sorts of things, different to 10 years ago. There's things that are at boiling points and tipping points and 
And because the world keeps changing, we have to keep re-envisioning what it means to be the people of God in the world. Because it can't just keep being the same. And the other thing that keeps happening is that God keeps speaking. God doesn't just speak once and forever. He continues to speak to us in the journey. And he, he speaks to us with, about where we're at. But then when we get to new places, he speaks new things about where we're at in that place and where he wants to speak to us. And because the world keeps changing and God keeps speaking, it's sort of like, well, after 10 years, it's probably a good time to re-envision what we're doing here as a church. It's probably a good time to take stock and go, ah, oh, how would we language this? How should we look at it? How should we approach this as we do this journey of trying to steward what God has given us um, into the future? And so last year, for those of you that have been a part of the journey for longer than that, at Vision Sunday, we announced, hey, we're changing the page. We're turning the page. It's a new chapter. The only problem is we had no idea what the new chapter would be. We didn't have the language. All we had was the sense that God was wanting to do something new. He was wanting to do something deeper. He was wanting us to relook at things. He was wanting us to focus more on formation than on just building the church. And he, he was wanting us to see things differently. And, and, and so we announced that. And everyone's like, there was the sense on Vision Sunday last year. People were like, there's a spirit connection or a heart connection to it. But we're all sort of like, but what does it mean? I remember having a staff meeting two days afterwards and all the staff were like, well, what does chapter two mean? And I was like, I don't know, but let's figure it out together. And so after a year of trying to figure it out, not that we have figured it out, we, we do feel like we have some language to wrap around it. So that's what these next six weeks are gonna be about. So hopefully that helps you go, oh, I get this. I, I can see how I can be a part of this. I can see what God is doing here. So hopefully you're ready for that. Need vision, eh? We all need vision. Proverbs 29, verse 18, if you have your Bibles here. I'm going to read from the King James Version. I'm going to old school, the first English translation. I wouldn't recommend it as a read. It's a bit clunky. But Proverbs 29, verse 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Man, that's a bit harsh. It's a bit strong, but where there is no vision, the people perish. Proverbs 29, 18, in a different version, the message version, I would recommend that as a read. It's not clunky at all. It's poetically beautiful. It says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. What did we sing tonight? I fix my eyes on heaven. God, I receive your vision. Because when we don't have vision, we perish. When we don't have what God has revealed, when we don't attend to it, we stumble all over ourselves. But when we attend to it, we are most blessed. So let's attend to God's vision so that we might be most blessed. I don't know if you realize it, but you need vision not just to thrive, but you need vision even to survive. I don't know if you've ever had those dark moments where you feel like you can't keep going or you don't want to go on, and I know many people have. Those are the moments when you lose vision, and when you lose vision, you lose hope, and when you lose hope, you lose the will to go on. 
We need vision. Without it, not only do we get stuck, or at worst, we lose our will to live at all, but when we can get it, man, something about life starts clicking and flowing. Challenges start being put in a context. The pressures we're going through start having a purpose. And so we need God's vision in our life. I mean, I know what it's like to lose vision. Um, some of you would know that I've been going through burnout, and I don't recommend it as a pathway for anybody. Uh, about 18 months ago, I just hit the wall completely, and we went on a sabbatical, and it was the first time I'd stopped in many, many years of the pressures of leadership. It was the first time I'd stopped being pastor for a long time and could figure out who just Joel was uh, for the first time in my adult life. And uh, I remember stopping, and I don't know if you've ever gone on a road trip and you've been driving along and you just throw all your rubbish in the back seat. That's sometimes how we live our lives. You know, we just go from one moment to the other and, oh, that hurt, but I don't have time for that right now. And, oh, that was difficult. So I just, we keep throwing everything. We don't process it. We just keep moving on. We're going so fast. Well, the problem with stopping is that everything in the back seat makes its way to the front seat really quickly when you slam on the brakes. And for me, in sabbatical, that's exactly what happened. I stopped and 10 or 15 years of pastoral ministry of things I hadn't dealt with came flooding to the front in an instant, and they came in the form of a dark, ominous, depressing cloud that just surrounded everything about myself. And at its worst, in my worst moment, I know why it was the worst moment, because I lost vision. I couldn't see my future anymore. I didn't want to continue. I didn't want to continue on ministry. I'd lost God's vision for my life. And I remember the turning point was actually when I started to get vision back. It was when the whispers of God started to ask me the questions like, but do you know why you're on this earth? Do you think I've called you? And it was called as attending to what he revealed that was part of what pulled me out of the darkness and back into the light. And for all of us, we need vision. This last two years, it, in, in just the COVID context of our world, so many people have lost vision. They're so we've been reacting. There's been so much pressure that there's a sense that we've sort of circled the wagons around our own life and we've just been like, if I could just get through the day, and there's nothing wrong with just getting through the day. That, that's a coping mechanism for the short term, but it's not a way to live in the long term. And as that's maybe fine for the first month and fine for the first season, but now we're in two years and too many people have been living without vision for too long because they've let the pressures of our external world determine the boundaries of what they think is possible, of what is important in our lives. And people have used all these good, nice sounding words like family and like rest and like I'm just... You know, I don't know, they use these words, and, but really what it is is I just want to live a selfish, self-absorbed life that takes care of me and me. And we've lost vision. And in that, it might feel good for a few months or it might even feel good for a few years, but it will lead to a greater emptiness than where you even began. 
And if we let distraction and if we let discouragement or we let the ultimate robber of, I think, most youth and young adults' vision of their life, disillusionment, jadedness, if we let it steal our vision, we let it steal our passion, we let it steal our purpose, we let it steal the reason God has put us on this earth. And so we need vision. We need vision. Because when we attend to what he reveals, we are most blessed. But without it, we stumble all over our selfish, insular, self-absorbed selves. Habakkuk 2 verse 2 says, The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. There's something about not just having a God-given vision, but I think it's, it's people like my job, but it's also all of our job in our lives to get that vision clear and succinct enough from God that we can hold on to it, that we can put it on the bathroom mirror, that we can put it on the screensaver on our phone so that we can run with what he's revealed so that we can stay focused on it, so that we can stay pointed towards it. Because vision is so powerful. Do you know that everything that is or ever could be in your life will start as vision before it ever becomes anything of reality? That chair you're sitting on tonight, that was a vision before it was a chair. It was a picture of a chair in an industrial designer's mind, no doubt, or an artist's mind, or a furniture designer's mind, and they saw it, and they sketched it, and then they CAD it, and then they figured out how to manufacture it, and now we can sit on it, and we can stack it when we're done. Because that's the power of vision. What just starts, that's person that is left stacking them all on their own at the end, but not tonight. <laughs> That's the power of vision, right? It's like, it's where creation begins. And anything you've ever seen started as vision. I remember 10 and a bit years ago, we've been the lead pastors of the church for about five months. And the church had completely fallen apart and fallen away. A lot more people left and nobody came. And there was about 50 or 60 people. And I remember... In February of 2012, standing up, we were in the Bay Park um, Stadium Lounge of all church venues. It was horrible. It hadn't been redone. It's been redone now. It's less horrible, but it's still not great. Um, and it smelt of sausage rolls and bourbon, and it had like the clay-infested carpet from the 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 racetrack and uh, it was horrible and we're huddled in this thing and I remember speaking vision to the church because I was young and naive but also because I was dumb enough to believe God that he hadn't finished yet and I remember speaking and I remember nobody wanted to hear it they told me that afterwards I remember saying, because just like 50 or 60 people, it's not a church plan, it's a church collapse. And we're 25 years old and we have no idea what we're doing. And people are leaving every week. And I remember saying, like, God's not finished. Every word that God has spoken over this church is still true and will still come to pass. And I remember saying this ridiculous thing, like one day, 
This church is going to have so many people that have met Jesus in it that we're going to be able to fill up and they just finished building the Trust Power Arena that's there. And I pointed across the car park, even though there were no windows in that room, I pointed across there and was like, that building over there, one day we're going to be able to fill that with all the people that have met Jesus through this church. And you know what? We could. That's the power of vision. It takes what isn't, and if you attend to it, it can make it what is. Vision creates focus. And I think a lot of people in their life need more focus. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message version of the Bible, he wrote a book called The Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's a fantastic book about the Psalms. He stole the line from a philosopher called Nietzsche, who wasn't a Christian, but he did stumble upon this great truth of human endeavor that it's the long obedience in the same direction that creates an impact. And that's the power of vision. If you can get a vision not just worth giving a month to, or not just giving a year to, but giving a decade or giving a life to, and you can just walk out that vision in every season of your life, oh, you'll be amazed at the exponential impact your life can have. The long obedience is focus. Too many people are trying too many different things and they're jack of all trades and they're masters of nothing. Pick something and walk that road. Just make sure it's a worthy road to walk on for a long time. And man, when people unite around a vision, and this is what I'm believing for in our church over this next season of time, when people unite around a vision, all things become possible. I don't know if you know the story of the Tower of Babel. It's like a negative example. These people were, were, they didn't want anything to do with God. They were disobeying God and they were trying to make a name for themselves and resist God's direction in their life. And God said this about them in Genesis 11, 6. Look, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. If that is true, this is God speaking, if that is true of a whole bunch of disobedient people that want nothing to do with God, how much more so his church that has his spirit and his favor and his grace over its endeavor? How much more so us if we could get united around a God vision, how much more could be possible for us? When I was a teenager, My parents, like most wise parents who have teenagers driving, thought I wasn't a good driver and needed more training. I could tell many stories about my own children that way, but I won't for their sake tonight. (laughs) So they sent me on an offensive driving course, an offensive driving course, not a defensive driving course. That one's just book work. Uh, an offensive driving course where you learn to handle a car in tricky situations. It was awesome. There's a whole bunch of mainly males, all thinking they're better drivers than each other, you know, all 16 years old, macho, macho sort of stuff with a rally car driver teaching us how to do this stuff. It was super cool. And I remember one of the challenges, we were at the race course, so it's like all sandy, sort of gravelly, whatever race courses, let's call it sand, and there's cones, and we had to do a slalom at a certain speed from one end to the other, and all of us are thinking, we've got this, this is easy. And so we get going, 
and uh, you know you sort of start okay, but then you start getting out of rhythm, and then you hit cone, cone, cone. You're not allowed to slow down, and none of us could get to the end without hitting a few cones. And uh, so that made us all feel better about it ourselves that we all sucked at it. And uh, then the, the the instructor said, "Well, we're going to do it again, except you're going to do it even faster." This time you're not going to hit a cone, and here's all I want you to do, is I want you, rather than looking at each cone, I want you to just look at that building at the end of the race course straight right there. Just, just don't take your eyes off it, and just trust that your body will know what to do to get around the cones. And lo and behold, every single one of us that couldn't do it the first time, focusing on every step of the way, could do it even faster by not focusing and just looking at the end. And this is what happens in our lives. This is what happens with vision, with God-given vision. If you can put it in front of you and you can have your eyes set on it, it doesn't matter what's getting thrown in your way in the journey of life. You'll be able to navigate it. You might hit a few, but you'll keep going along the way if you can keep your eyes fixed on the right thing. If you cannot get distracted, if you can lock in, that's why we sing that song, I fix my eyes on heaven. The scripture's constantly talking about fixing our eyes on eternity, fixing our eyes on Jesus, lifting our eyes above our circumstances. This is vision talk. And so as a church, we wanna fix our eyes on a new vision so that we can navigate whatever cones get thrown in our path. Matthew 4.18 is sort of like the place where I really felt like God gave me the language and the way to see the vision in the scriptures. So you know I'm not making it up. Matthew 4 verse 18, it says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, this is Jesus, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Wait for it. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Crazy. I'd imagine if somebody was walking down the mount and you walked past them and they said, follow me, or you're working at your cafe or whatever, and they said, follow me, you'd be like, mm, no thanks. And you'd just get back to what you're doing. And I don't have time to go into all of it tonight, but they knew who Jesus was. They knew he, they didn't know everything about him, but they knew he was a rabbi. And every boy growing up, in that culture, sorry girls, but it's just the way their culture was, every boy wanted to be a rabbi. It's like they wanted to be an all black. It's like the, the highest esteemed thing in their culture, you know, it was like, that's what they wanted to be. That's what they trained for. That's what they, and if you didn't make it, you went and did the trade of your father, but then these boys hadn't made it and they had accepted their lot in life. But one day, their opportunity came by in the form of Rabbi Jesus and so when he said, follow me, they knew what that meant. That didn't mean like, let's just see his car or let's just see where he was going. They knew that that was an invitation to come and be a disciple. That was an invitation to come and learn from him. That was an invitation to spend their life with him. That was an invitation to learn to pray like him, to read the scriptures like him, to communicate with God like him, to minister to people like him. And they knew that they were finally getting their shot at their boyhood dream. So of course they left the nets and followed him. And within this passage is the essence this twofold essence of our new vision as a church and what I hope will be your new vision for your life. 
this twofold essence, an invitation to follow and a promise from God that in that he will make you something. He will make you fishers of men. You have to know this about God if you don't know. God gives vision to everybody. There's not a single person who God comes to in the scripture who he doesn't re-envision their lives. Abraham just thought he was another guy. But God came and spoke to him and his barren wife and said, you're going to be the father and the mother of a new nation that's going to be God's special people through whom God is going to bless the whole earth. And he attended to the vision and the vision was fulfilled in his life. Moses was wandering in the desert, lost, tending to sheep. And then one day there's a burning bush and God comes and says, you're not just a shepherd, you're the anointed one that's gonna go set my people free. We could go on. David is the youngest of all of his brothers, is a shepherd, and apparently there needed to be a new king anointed, but his dad didn't even invite him because he thought he wasn't even got a chance of becoming the anointed new king. He only invited all of his older brothers. But God came to that shepherd boy and anointed him a king. And God came to these fishermen, Peter and Andrew, and said, come follow me, and I'm gonna make you fishers of men. And they became two of the 12 apostles through whom the church was birthed. And so our new vision, and the way we're gonna say it, is to be a people who pursue the way of Jesus and play our part in his story. To be a people who pursue the way of Jesus and play our part in his story. Pursuing the way of Jesus is the invitation to follow God, to follow in the way of Jesus. And playing our part in his story is the promise that as you get formed in following him, that he's gonna make you someone that can play your part in his redemptive story in this world. This vision is for a type of person and a type of impact. Pursuing the way of Jesus is discipleship. It's not just saying a prayer, but following him. This word has become so polluted. These words, Christian, disciple, um, follower, these are such polluted words because they've been given definition by people that we've experienced in our lives. Somebody rang me the other day from the other side of the world and we've been talking for the last few weeks and he's from here, but he's traveling abroad and he tuned into Curate Online and he found my contacts through a friend and he rang me and he said, I wanna become one of those things. And I was like, what things? He was like, I can't even say the word. And I was like, what, like a Christian? He's like, yeah, that. I said, why can't you say the word? He's like, because I've met so many people who call themselves that but that's not really what they are. And he wasn't talking about, you know, normal, good-hearted followers of Jesus that don't get everything right. That's all of us. He was talking about people who subscribe to Jesus in name only and in very little of the actual pursuing of their life. And for him, he had, had been ripped off and robbed and screwed over by so many Christians 
that he wanted God, but he really struggled with being identified with that group. And, you know, we're working on that. But what we, we came to is we talked about this essence that we needed to be followers or pursuers of the way that we actually talked about in the scripture. People didn't actually call themselves Christians. They called themselves followers of the way. Other people called them Christians because they looked like Christ. Whereas we sort of flipped it the other way. We call ourselves, hey, we look like Christ, even though we might not actually follow the way. And so pursuing the way of Jesus about being formed in the likeness, to learn to live like Jesus, speaks of God's transformation of the depth he wants to form in us it's learning to live in the kingdom now it's a vision not just of what you're doing but it's of who you're becoming and playing our part in his story matters it's a recognition that God is the center not us it's his story not ours and we've been created and we're being recreated in Jesus to play our part in it this part, this playing our part in a story, we've got a collective part to play as his church, but you also have an individual part to play as one of his sons or daughters. As a church, we need to keep this front and center because this is not your everyday ordinary church. This is a church where God is on the move. He's been on the move, he's on the move, and he'll continue to be on the move, and we better make sure we play our part that he has destined for us. God has a part for every one of you to play. And I don't want to get into this argument that people get into sometimes. We're like, well, I'm called to the world and other people are called to the body, to the church, because every single one of us is called to both. You have a calling in this body. You have a calling to the church. God has given you gifts. God has given you abilities that He designed to make us all more mature. And when we all play our part, the church has, has grown into the maturity and the fullness of Christ, it says in Ephesians 4. And when you don't pay, play your part, we're not able to all play our part. And I'm believing as we rally around this vision that we're gonna see every member of the church activated in the ministry that God has given them because ministry is not like, come and watch me do it and you just enjoy. Ministry is something we all have and all are supposed to do for each other. That's the body part, but we all have a part to play in the world too in your families, in your flats, in your friends, in your workplaces, in your schools. You have a part to play in bringing about God's redemptive story to that place and making it a little bit more like heaven than earth. And we see this in Ephesians 2.10, just so you know, I'm not making this stuff up. It says this, for we, speaking of the church, for we are God's masterpiece and He's created us a new in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He's recreating us as we pursue the way of Jesus so that we can do the good things, play our part in his story. I love that Peter said yes. Don't you love it that Peter and Andrew said yes? Jesus came by, he said, follow me, we know what that means. And he said, yes. And because he said yes, and he kept saying yes, even though he was far from perfect, oh, he became a lot more like Jesus. You know, he was the one who cut off one of the people who came to arrest Jesus' ear because he was a bit angry and defending Jesus. Jesus healed it and put it back on, it's amazing. 
But then Peter would write in his letters about embracing suffering in his older years. He became more like Jesus. But gosh, he played his part in the kingdom story. When Jesus had ascended to heaven, 120 people are gathered around in this room and the spirit turns up and they head out to the streets and it's chaos and confusion and Peter steps up in front of them all and he explains that this is the move of the spirit and at his preaching, 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus and the church was born. And he faithfully led that church in Jerusalem until persecution scattered him to Turkey. And he faithfully led that church there until he was rumored to have been sent to Rome. And then he's rumored to have been crucified upside down because he didn't count himself worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are here today because Peter said yes and played his part in the story. He pursued Jesus and he played his part in his story. And I wanna let you know that there are many people out there in this life that if you could get a vision for pursuing the way of Jesus and playing your part in his story, that will be impacted and influenced and destinies changed because the echoes from Peter's life can be the echoes from yours and from my life. If we just say yes, we just say yes. How do we say yes? It's easy for Peter. He got to, Jesus was walking by, right? Yes, okay, I'll leave this and I'll come with you. Sweet. It's a little bit harder for us to say yes. What does it mean to say yes tomorrow when I wake up? What does it mean to say yes tomorrow night? What does it mean to say yes when I'm at work, when I'm at school? I think there's three things that we can say yes to and I think these are worth writing down. We can say yes by reordering our life under God. What do I mean by that? Begin by pursuing Him daily. You can say yes by just starting to have some regular time every day where you get in the Word of God and you say some prayers to God and you give Him your attention. Pursuing Jesus in the way of Jesus is more than that? Absolutely, but it's never less than that. And so that's where it begins. Let's get serious about it. And let's reorder our life. Let's pursue Him daily. The second thing, the second way you can say yes to being a part of this vision is you can play your part in your church. I don't know if you realize it, but you have a part to play. Every person here has a part to play. You have a part to play in praying for this church and praying for the people in this church. You have a part to play in giving to this church. As we all share from our resources, God's kingdom is able to be accomplished. His purposes of His kingdom are able to be accomplished through us. So we can all pray. We can all give. We can all serve. We can all serve. We can all We might not know our gifts yet. We might not know God's special grace of our lives, but that's okay. We can pick up a broom. We can put away a chair. We can put on a lanyard. We can learn. We can be trained. We can figure it out. You can start somewhere and you can get more connected in this church. You can go, actually, I need to walk this journey out with other people. I need to get in a group. I need to get together with some people during the week and encourage each other in this pursuing the way of Jesus. That's playing our part. And the third thing is this you can commit to finding out what playing your part in the rest of your life looks like. 
We're going to be talking more about that this year, but playing your part. You, God, wherever you... I just, what am I trying to say? Wherever you are right now, God has a part for you to play. Wherever you are. You don't need to wait on the missionary call. If you haven't been called to Africa, you're called to wherever you are right now. You can know that for sure. And if you can commit to finding out what it means to play your part, I tell you, you're going to wake up every day excited about the day. Because you're going to be like, I'm on purpose today. I know God's going to use me today. I'm a part of His kingdom today. I can see Him at work today. He's with me as I go about this. And I want that for every person in the church because that's what I have. But it's for all of us. It's for all of us. These last 10 years have been incredible. But I believe that the next 10 years are gonna be exponential of what has already happened. I believe the impact is gonna be tenfold of the last 10 years. But it's not gonna be found because we go out there and try to make something happen. It's gonna be found because we get back to basics and we pursue the way of Jesus and we play our part in His story. We form our relationship with God. We get knitted into our church and we play our part in his story. And let's just watch what God does. I hope it resonates with with you. I hope you're ready to say yes. I hope you're gonna be a part of this next chapter of the journey in a new way than how you've been a part of it up until now. I hope you're gonna write it on your bathroom mirror and wake up every day and be like, yeah, that's right. I'm pursuing the way of Jesus and I'm playing my part in his story.